This morning, we're going to be looking at a character in the Bible named Enoch. There's not much said about Enoch, but even though there's little said about him, there's a lot we can get from his life. But before we get into God's word this morning, let's go ahead and bow our heads forward to prayer, and let's invite the Spirit into this place. Our Father, which art in heaven, dear God, I thank you for bringing us here together as a family to be able to study your word this morning. Father, as we are in your presence, we come anticipating to hear your voice. And Lord, we pray that as we examine the life of Enoch, as we look at his faithfulness to you, we ask that you please speak to us and that you would teach us how we can be faithful as he was. Father, I pray in a special way that as the word of God is presented this morning, that truly I would hide behind the cross of Calvary. And Lord, that I would simply be your instrument this morning, that I would be your mouthpiece. And so I pray in a special way that you would sanctify my lips. I pray you fill my heart with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that the words that proceed out of my mouth will be only words that you desire for us to hear this morning. And so I pray that you please guide us through this study. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to leave from this place blessed. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Genesis. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 5 this morning. Genesis chapter 5. Now, if you were to read ahead, if you were to skip to Genesis chapter 6, you'll find a very sad story. You'll find that the, the, the condition of the world became so bad that there came a point where God had to say, that is enough. And because he saw that the world was so wicked, he destroyed the earth with a what, friends? With a flood. The condition of the world, the spiritual condition of the world was so bad that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, you're in chapter 5, but I'm just going to read Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Bible says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that, notice this, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil Continually. You know, I can't imagine what type of a world that must have been like for everyone around you to have evil imaginations, evil intentions continuously. That would be a scary world to live in, wouldn't it? But that was the condition of the world. That was a spiritual condition of the world. It became so dark that God had to say, it is enough. And so he, he caused the earth to be flooded. And what is interesting, in Genesis chapter 5... You're going to see this genealogy. And uh, in this genealogy, uh, there are certain individuals that are highlighted. If you look at Genesis chapter 5, if you notice what it says in verse 1, are all the saints there, amen? Genesis chapter 5, looking at verse 1, notice what it says. The Bible reads, This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man... In the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And so what we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 5, we're going to be seeing a genealogy. We are going to be seeing the descendants of Adam. And we're not going to read through the entire chapter, but you'll see that there is a quite a list of individuals that are listed there. But what I want to highlight in this chapter is it's so interesting that God actually makes notes or he actually uh, he actually explains more on the lives of adam seth 
Enoch, Methuselah, and Noah. Who are those names? Adam, Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, and Noah. What did all these men have in common? Well, we all know that these men were faithful men. And the reason why God wanted to put extra emphasis on these individuals is because these men were worthy of being noted of. They were notable because of their connection with the Lord. We know Adam, obviously Adam, he was created after the image of God. He was created perfect. No sins, no, his, his image was not marred. Created after the very image of God. But we know sadly from the beginning in, in Genesis chapter uh, 3, we find that he was the one that was responsible for causing all the sin in this world. However, we know that after Adam had committed the sin, he lived a life still committed to the Lord, and he he continued to preach, telling others that, hey, listen, I know I had messed up. I know I had failed you as a people, but I want you not to forget that Jesus is going to die for you. I want you not to forget that you have a Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And so Adam, all of his life, he preached that there is mercy from God that you can receive even though we are sinful. Then we have Seth. Seth was obviously Adam's son. And his name means appointed or compensated. We know that Seth was replaced whom? Abel, right? Seth was a, a very good man. He followed the footsteps of Abel. And so he represented God very well. Then we have Enoch, but we're not going to get into Enoch just yet. We'll get to him throughout the rest of the sermon. But let's go and skip to Methuselah. Methuselah was also a faithful man. His name means a man sent out, or that is a man on a mission. Methuselah's life itself was a sermon. You see, Methuselah, if you you try to dissect his name, it actually means when he dies, it shall be sent. Talking about the flood, right? When he dies, it shall be sent. Methuselah was a man that was to represent God. He lived the longest. Does anyone know how how long he lived? 969 years. That's a long time, right? That is a long life. He lived that long, and perhaps he lived that long because he took care of his body really well. Maybe he applied the principles of health into his life. Um, Vegetarian diet. I don't know. He was healthy. He lived 969 years. And by the way, I just can't, you know, I was just kind of sitting down in my room and kind of thinking about that. Imagine if you were to live that long. What would life be like? What would be the conversations that you would have with other people? Maybe you're going to be talking about marriage. But marriage in those days, for us, we talk about marriage being sometime around 25, 26, you know, 30, some 35, I don't know right? We talk about marriage being around that time, but how if you, how, what would happen if you lived 900 years? Yeah, you know, uh, I could probably wait off on of marriage for a little bit. <laughs> Maybe 90 years old, I'll start thinking about it, right? Or when is adulthood? When are you considered an adult, right? That's crazy. Or when should we have kids? If you look at the genealogy, you'll find that um, uh, many of them had kids like in their early hundreds, right? (laughs) The early hundreds. What would our conversations be like? I I have no idea. But one thing is for sure, the men and women that lived during that time, they were incredibly smart. They were uh, very healthy individuals. Many of them grew to be way tall. (laughs) I don't know. Just, just, 
everything about them was just amazing because they were closest to Adam. Right? And Adam was a tall man, was he not? He was a tall man, we can imagine that. But here is this generation of people who lived long. And Methuselah, he lived a very long time, lived the longest, 969 years, and his life was a sermon in and of itself. Noah, we also know to be a very faithful man, amen? Noah, even though the world was, was, was darkened by sin, even though the, 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 the hearts of the men were evil continuously, we know that Noah abided by the instruction of the Lord. And he can committed himself to continuing to preach that there is going to come a time where God is going to put issue a judgment upon the earth. And so does anybody remember how long he preached? Noah preached for 120 years. That is a long time. I mean, I'm sure there may have been times where he was discouraged. I'm sure there are many times where he felt close to giving up. You can imagine him live, uh, preaching to a world that is full of wickedness. People are probably mocking him, making fun of him. They're saying, hey, wh- how, why are you preaching that there's going to come a flood when it had never rained before? So here Noah, he's preaching and saying, hey, God is going to issue a flood. I know we haven't seen rain before, but get ready. Get into the ark. Anyone that is willing to obey the Lord, get into the ark. Noah preached faithfully for 120 years. What is it that all these men had in common? They had a connection with the Lord. Ellen White even brings this out in Christ Object Lessons, page 126. Before, speaking of Jesus, he clothed himself in the divinity with humanity and came to our world. The gospel message was given by Adam, Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, and Noah. Even Ellen White noted these men specifically as being faithful individuals preaching the gospel message. This morning, I would like us to look at the life of Enoch. And you know, <laughs> we all know Enoch, and we all know his experience. We all know that Enoch, what happened to him? He was a man that was translated. How many of you want to be translated to heaven? Amen? To not see death? Enoch had that experience. He had a very unique experience. And so I would like to take this opportunity to really hone in on his life, to focus in on his life, and to ask the question, How is it that Enoch was able to have such a connection with God that God said, you know what? I'm going to take you to heaven with me. You know, Ellen White says in Education, page 18, higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Highest than the highest human thought that we can reach is God's ideal for his children. And I believe that Enoch believed that, and so he lived his life asking God to help him become the man that he desires for him to be. And beloved, I believe that each and every one of us can be like Enoch. Each and every one of us can have the same experience that Enoch did. And we can be, we can have a life that pleases the Lord. Beloved, if you have your Bibles, let's look at Genesis chapter 5, looking at verse 21. You should be in that chapter. Genesis chapter 5, looking at verse 21. I want you to notice how God describes Enoch. We have a short description here within the genealogy, but I want you to notice here, the Bible says, and Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And this is the opening passage. It says, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Just a few words that describe the life of Enoch, but we see that 
those words, there's just so much there, right? It's just so powerful to see that Enoch walked with God, and because of his walk with the Lord, he was translated into heaven. Now, there's something to note there. I want you to notice, what, how old was Enoch when he had Methuselah? 65 years old. And then how long did he live after Methuselah? 300 years after. And it's noted here in Scripture that for those 300 years, that's three centuries, beloved. For three centuries, Enoch was faithful to God. Amen? He was so dedicated to the Lord, so faithful to the Lord. He had this experience with God that was unique, that was, that was unlike any experience that any other man had had. And because of that, because of his experience with the Lord, there's a baby that needs a... She loves the message, amen? <laughs> but yeah, so live 300 years after that, a very faithful life. But I want you to note, notice something here. He, he had a son. His name was Methuselah. And what's very interesting is Ellen White brings out that Methuselah is the reason why Enoch had that experience. Because when Enoch had his son Methuselah, when he would look into his baby's eyes, when he would observe his baby's life, he, would, he, he started to see that just as he loves his son so much, he can imagine that God loved him even so much more. And that experience of observing his son and, and, and that experience of loving his son, that caused him to have a deeper appreciation for God. It sparked a greater love in his heart for God. And so he had this conversion experience. And for 300 years, three centuries, he lived a life of faithfulness. And so my question this morning, what I would like us to look at, is what does it mean when the Bible says that Enoch walked with God? Isn't that a fair question to ask? What does it mean when the Bible says that Enoch had walked with God? Because that almost seems like a broad concept. He walked with God. But I would like us to look at the Bible today and let's examine his life and see what exactly that means. Turn your Bibles with me to Amos chapter 3, looking at verse 3. Amos chapter 3, looking at verse 3. Now, Amos is a minor prophet. It's a very small book, so some of you may have a hard time finding it. It's right after Joel, and then there's Amos. Amos chapter 3, looking at verse 3. And when the saints get there, if you can say, Amen. As we look at why, what does it mean for when the Bible says Enoch walked with God, Amos chapter 3, looking at verse 3. The Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? So one thing is for sure, in order for Enoch to be able to walk with God, his life needs to come in agreement with whose life? With God's life. Ellen White says this, Enoch's walk with God was not in a trance or vision. In other words, Enoch didn't just have this, this vision of him walking with God, right? Like this glorious vision of him just like walking with him on the mountains or walking with him on the beach. No, Enoch, the, the, what Ellen White says here, says Enoch's walk with God was not a trance or vision, but in all the duties of daily life. As a husband, father, a friend, a citizen, he was the unwavering servant of the Lord. So his walk with God was not something that he was having in his mind or was not some sort of vision or trance. He literally had a walk with the Lord in that in everything that he did, whether as a father or a friend or a citizen, he made sure that everything he did was in line with God's will. Amen? 
All the decisions that he had to, had to make, everything that he had to decide, he made sure that it was in accordance to God's will. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7. James chapter 1, looking at verses 5 through 7. I want you to notice what, the, what Ellen White said there when she said, He was the unwavering servant of the Lord. What does it mean to be an unwavering servant? Let's look at James chapter 1, looking at verses 5 through 7. It says in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Do we need wisdom? Does God want to give us wisdom? Amen. What does the Bible say we have to do if we need wisdom? We simply need to ask that wisdom from him, and he will liberally give it to us. But notice what it says in verse 6. When you ask for wisdom, the Bible says this, but let him ask in what? In faith. Nothing. Notice this wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You see, the experience that Enoch had with God was not a very doubtful experience. He was not a, he was not a person when, when God would present to him his will, he would not just sit, stand there or sit there and just be like, Oh, I don't know, God. I don't know if I'm going to do that. God, I'm not sure if I can make that decision. Rather, when Enoch was presented the will of the Lord, every time God presented him his way, Enoch would say, Okay, God, I'm going to proceed with that. I'm going to move forward. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of my circumstances, I am going to move forward by faith. Nothing wavering. I'm going to move forward with what you want me to do in life. You know, Ellen White actually talks about the life of Enoch. He would often spend time in the mountain alone. He would, be, he would, he would go to the mountain just by himself. Be in so, just, just, just have some solitary time with the Lord. And it talks. She, she mentioned how Enoch would spend so much time with the Lord that if he had something that was on his mind, perhaps he had a decision that he had to make, he would sit there, be still, and wait till the Lord would give him an answer. Amen? He would be still and he would wait for God to give him an answer. And beloved, I believe if we can learn that, or if we can apply that into our own lives, where we can be still with God, I believe that a lot of the problems that we have in our life could be prevented. If only we learn the principle of being still and waiting upon the Lord. You see, God, God wants to tell us what exactly is on His mind, what's on His heart. He wants to direct our paths. But I believe that oftentimes we are too impatient with Him. In that when we pick up our, our, our Bible to perhaps understand His will, it's like we have a rush devotional experience. And, and when God is just about to give us the answer to our question, the answer to our, uh, to our heart, we, we, we just close the Bible and we walk away when God was just about to give us the answer. Enoch knew how important it was to follow the way of the Lord. So oftentimes in the mountains, he would spend time just waiting upon the Lord. God, give me the answer and God would give him the answer. How is it that Enoch understood God's will? You know, it's interesting. Enoch didn't have the Bible like we have today. Isn't that true? Enoch didn't have the Bible. The Bible was way late, came in way later. So how is it that Enoch understood God's will? In those times, in order for you to understand God's will, you had to hear it from those who were faithful to the Lord. For example, Adam 
was alive during that time. And so Enoch had the privilege that all of us don't have today, right? Enoch was like, maybe he was a little confused on something. He's like, oh, wait a little bit. Let me go and uh, ask a faithful friend of mine, right? Here's something interesting. Ellen White says this. This is powerful. Patriarchs and prophets. We talk about how these men, right? They were so smart. They were so intellectual. I want you to notice what it says this. Adam had learned from the creator the history of creation. He himself witnessed the events of nine centuries. He imparted his knowledge to his descendants. The antediluvians were, notice this, were without books. Were without what? There was no books during that time. The antediluvians were without books. They had no written records. But with their great physical and mental vigor, they had strong memories, able to grasp and retain that which was communicated to them, and in turn to transmit it, notice this, unimpaired to their posterity. And for hundreds of years, there were seven generations living upon the earth contemporaneously, having the opportunity of consulting together and profiting each by the knowledge and experience of all. Isn't that incredible? There was no books. Like we, you know, for us, like if we need to know something, sometimes we have to go to the library, right? Or we have to borrow a book from someone to, 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 to be able to master something. But these men and women, they had no books. All they had was the word of mouth. They had the privilege of hearing from, from Adam, from Seth. If they had questions about God's will, they would go to them and say, Hey, what do you think, what do you think God wants, for, wants, to do, wants for me in my life? And so they would go to these men, and these men are able to express the will of God by memory. With no books. And when they would share it, the words would be unimpaired. Amen? This is the mental state they were in. This is how, how healthy these men and women were. And so Enoch had that privilege of being able to hear from Adam, from Seth, and some of these faithful men that lived during his time. But beloved, there is no greater person to speak with than Jesus. Amen? And Enoch recognized that. Even though he had Adam there, even though he had these faithful men living during his time, Enoch recognized that if he really wanted to understand God's will perfectly, the best place to go is to be with God. And so that's why we find in ta- when Ellen White talks about the life of Enoch, he would often spend time in solitude, in prayer, in communion with the Lord because he knew that God would guide his life. But for us today, we don't have Adam. Today, we don't have Seth. We don't have Noah. We don't have those faithful men who, who can share the will of God unimpaired. But we do have God's word. Amen. We have His Word. We have the privilege of His Word. And beloved, I believe that we take for granted His Word. We probably take it for granted because it's always there. And you know, what was so incredible to me, I was watching this YouTube clip of a group of Chinese Christians. And these Chinese Christians, they, um, you know, they, 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 they would hear a word from a preacher and they, they would love to hear the word of God being preached. And there was a time where they received a box of Bibles. And I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but they had received this box of Bibles. It was like an underground church. And this box of Bibles was brought to them. When the box was open and they saw what was inside, when they saw that there was Bibles, do you know what these Chinese church members did? They wept. They cried. Some of them picked up the Bible and they held it like it was, it was like the holiest thing they've ever held in their life. Because they recognized that in the word of God is life. And they did not take it for granted. These were men and women that study the word of God. And beloved, I believe that we should have a high regard for God's, God's word in that way. Amen. 
We should recognize that the words that are in this book, they're not just a, a bunch of uh, words that have no meaning for our lives or are irrelevant to us, but we should recognize that the Bible is meant to give us salvation. That the Bible is meant so that we can understand the very will of God for our lives. God wants us to understand His will. You know, I had a friend of mine ask me, how is it that I can know God's will in my life? Just recently, how can I know God's will in my life? It's very simple. Are you spending time in God's word? Because if you can spend time in God's word, beloved, here in my hand here is God's will expressed in words. Amen? And if we would just take the time to study his, his word, and I know that sometimes studying the Bible can be tedious, I would just like to submit to you to really pray. To really ask God, God, give me a desire, a hungering and thirsting after the truth. Beloved, He will give that to you. And, and make, and try your best. And this is just a small tip I'd like to share with you. If you want the Bible to really become practical in your life, here's a little simple principle. Just sit down with the Bible and ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm going through in my life right now? What, what am I struggling with? What decision did I have to make? And what I would like you to do, I know some of us may not have a really good understanding of the Bible yet, but for those of us that have a pretty general understanding of the Bible, I'd like you to sit with, your word, with, with the word in your hand, ask yourself the question, what am I going through? And then think of a story in the Bible that relates to your experience. Are you guys following what I'm saying? Perhaps you're struggling with faith, Right? Maybe faith is something that you're struggling with. Oh, how can I have a, a more steadfast faith in the Lord? Well, what are some stories of faith in the Bible? Aren't there a lot? Let someone name one story about Abraham. Exactly. The last sermon that we heard last Sabbath. Abraham's life is a testimony of what faith is. Or we think about the disciple Peter, right? Peter, how, how, do, how do we see he struggled with faith? You guys remember when he had to walk on water? He walked on water. What happened? He sunk because of a lack of faith. Study that, that, that story. And beloved, the Bible can never be exhausted. You may have heard the story before, but if you spend time asking God to communicate to you what is in that story, he will teach you something new. Guaranteed. He does that to me all the time. Just spend time in the story with the problem or the issue that you have in your life. Ask God, what is it that I can take from the story to apply to my life immediately? And God will teach you what that is. Enoch walked with God because he sought the will of God. Enoch walked with God because he sought after the will of God. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. And when you get there, saints can say amen. Hebrews chapter 11, looking at verses 5 and 6. Here's another small description about Enoch. And we looked at this chapter last Sabbath. But here we're going to be looking at Enoch. The Bible says in verse 5, But uh, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he did what? That he pleased God. So here we get a little bit of more uh, description of, of what type of life that, that, that Enoch lived. In, in Genesis, we see that he walked with God and he was translated. But here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, we find here that he was translated because he had a testimony that he what? That he pleased 
God. How many of you want to please the Lord? Amen? How many of us want to live a life that pleases Him? Enoch had that life. And notice what it says in verse 6. How is it that Enoch pleased the Lord? The Bible says, But without faith. Without what, friends? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God, notice this, must believe that He is. By the way, that word is, is that past tense or future tense? It's neither of those. What is it? It is present tense. He believed that God is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Beloved, this is the reason why Enoch believed in prayer. He, he believed in prayer for two reasons. He believed in prayer because he knew the God he's praying to. He knew that God is not a past God. He is not a future God. But he also recognized that God is a present God. And that he is a God that will help him in his present circumstances. This is why you saw Enoch pray a lot. But in addition to that, he also knew that God would reward him of the things that he asks for if and only if he diligently seeks him. Goes back to my point about rushing your devotions. Beloved, if we really want things from the Lord, and I'm talking about things in His will, if we really want Him to answer our prayers, we need to diligently seek Him. Amen? Diligently seek Him with faith, believing Him, not wavering, no doubts, just believing when God gives us a promise, it's going to come to pass. Enoch believed in prayer because he knew his God is a present God and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, Here's a second point. The first point, we saw that Enoch walked with God because he sought the will of God. But Enoch also walked with God because of his prayer life. Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 85, paragraph 4, Distressed by the increasing wickedness of the ungodly, and fearing that their infidelity might lessen his reverence for God, Enoch avoided constant association with them and spent much time in solitude giving himself to meditation and prayer. Thus he waited before the Lord, seeking a clearer knowledge of his will that he might perform it. Notice this. To him, being of Enoch, prayer was as the breath of the soul. He lived in the very atmosphere of heaven. When people would come to him, hey, hey, Enoch, why don't we go do this? Why don't you come and let's go to this party. Let's celebrate together. Let's do these, these different things. Let's go to these amusements or these attractions. No, Enoch, what he wanted to do, what his hobby was, was to spend time with the Lord. He often sought the Lord diligently. And, and, and the reason why he sought the Lord diligently is because he knew that God wanted to give him a clearer knowledge of himself and of his will. But to Enoch, prayer was like, was the breath of his soul. He recognized the importance of prayer. Are you praying? Are you praying in your life? If you are praying, how is the quality of your prayers? You know, I remember when I was younger, my, my prayer life was nothing. God bless, bless this bowl of cereal. Right? <laughs> that was the depth of my prayer life, right? But that is not the prayer life that Enoch had. He cared less about the bowl of his cereal, right? He prayed for important matters in his life. He prayed for that which mattered, and he asked God constantly for his will, and he would spend time in solitude, making sure that he would receive that answer, and God would give him that answer. But beloved, I want you to always notice, notice this, that there is also a balance. You see, Enoch wasn't one that just stayed to himself. 
Yes, it's true that oftentimes he would reject invitations to do something, but that didn't mean he didn't care for the people that are around him. It says here, Ellen White says this, this is incredible. It says this, God does not mean that any of us should become hermits or monks and retire from the world in order to devote ourselves to acts of worship. The life must be like Christ's life between the mountain and the multitude. And I love this sentence. He who does nothing but pray will soon cease to pray or his prayers will become a formal routine. Enoch had a balanced life. Yes, it is true that he spent a lot of time, a majority of his time in solitude, praying to God, making sure that his life is in the will of the Lord. Even though he spent that much time doing that, we see that Enoch actually also knew or recognized the importance of being a witness for God. Because there are others that were around him who did not know the will of the Lord. And so Enoch wanted to make sure that they understood it. So not only did Enoch have a very vibrant devotional life, but we see that he had a vibrant witnessing life as well. And like Jesus, as Jesus spent time between the mountain and the multitude, so did Enoch do the same thing. He would, he would go to the solitary place, pray to God, ask for his will, ask for his strength. Then he would go into the city or wherever he needed to go to witness, and he would share that which God was teaching him. By the way, this is something I also want, to, want you to always remember. In order for you to retain the will of God in your mind, In order for you to really have a deeper grasp of God's word in your mind, there's something that you need to always remember. You need to share what you learn. You see, the reason why oftentimes we forget truths, oftentimes we forget what was preached in the sermon, oftentimes the reason why we forget what we learn in our devotional life is because we do not share it. And God cannot bless us if we do not give. Amen? We should ask so that we can give. And let me tell you something. The reason why I believe that God has helped me understand the word of God better is because he has put me in situations where I had to teach it. So I would suggest to you, you know, if you even had to pay someone to listen to you, I don't really want you to do that per se, but what I'm basically trying to say is this. Teach what it is that God teaches you. Because if you can do that, the word of God is going to be embedded into your mind and into your heart. So, how did Enoch walk with God? How did Enoch live a pleasing life? Well, we see that Enoch, he sought the will of the Lord. And secondly, he had a, he had a, a really good prayer life. What else? Enoch's witnessing life was very vibrant. He didn't only care about his own spiritual well-being, but he cared about the spiritual well-being of others. Turn your Bibles with me to Jude 14 and 15. And here we're going to see another short description about Enoch and what he did. Everybody there? Okay, notice what it says. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Beloved, Noah wasn't the only one preaching. Enoch preached as well. And he preached faithfully. And the message that he preached, and by the way, here's something incredible. In regards to the life of Enoch, there were times where God would give him visions, uh, put him in a trance, and he would be able to see the future. God had such a close connection with Enoch that God wanted to reveal not only his will for the present time, but his will for the future as well. 
And so God revealed to Enoch that, hey, listen, there is going to come a time where I'm going to come back to the earth. The second coming. Which means, beloved, that Enoch was an Adventist. Amen? (laughs) Enoch was an Adventist. He preached the second coming. And you know what's so incredible? The second coming of Christ was nowhere near his time. (laughs) This is way beyond him, his time. But yet he preached that Jesus was coming soon. He preached a message that, hey, listen, you need to repent of your sins. Turn away from your evil imaginations. Turn to the living God because there is going to come a time where there will be a judgment. Jesus is going to come back for a second time. Enoch preached the second advent of the Lord. I believe that he also kept the Sabbath as well, wouldn't you say? So Enoch, though he may not have known that he was a Seventh-day Adventist, he's a Seventh-day Adventist. Here's another point I wanted to bring out in regards to his, uh, his witnessing life. And that is, Ellen White says this, Patriots and Prophets 86, his labors were not restricted to the Sethites. Did you guys catch that? His labors, like his preaching, the Bi- or not Bible study, he didn't have a Bible, his uh, mind studies, right? His labors were not restricted to the Sethites. In other words, Enoch didn't just look around and look for the next Seventh-day Adventist, right? And say, hey, can we sit down and talk about God even though you know much about him? No, he looked for not just the Sethites, he looked for others as well. And he preached to the unbelieving. He preached to those that perhaps were not in line with God's will. He spent time with them. Yes, it is true that there were times where he would have to avoid certain places because he knew that that, that, that would maybe affect him spiritually. But there were times where he could take advantage of opportunities to speak to those who may not have a clear understanding of God's will. And so he did not only uh, limit his labors to the Sethites. And beloved, there's a point there that I would like to share. And that is we should not just be sharing amongst each other the truths that we possess. But we should also think about those that are outside of the church as well. Amen? God didn't give us these precious truths for the purpose of sitting on them, but He gave us these precious truths so that we can share it to the world. His labors were not restricted to the Sethites. And the reason why Enoch's message was powerful, and and this is the principle I'm sure all of you know, was because not only did he preach a powerful message, but his life was powerful as well. Ellen White says in Ministry of Healing, page 469, there is an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words. What a man is has more influence than what he says. The reason why Enoch was, his message, message was taken seriously by many, or the people had heard his message or wanting to hear his message, was because he lived a very powerful life, a life that was consistent with the message that he preached. And I pray that we would live consistent lives with the message that we preach or share with others. Amen? I believe it was Gandhi who said these words, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Beloved, our life should match up with our profession. That's the point. If, if, if what we say is contradictory to how we live, then people are not going to take it seriously. The reason why Enoch was able to, to stand boldly and preach with conviction and, and, and he, was, he was there between the, to the multitudes of people was because he had lived a life that was in connection with the life of Christ. He lived a life that was faithful to the Lord. And because he lived a life that was faithful to the Lord, 
he was able to preach with power. And Enoch also believed in what he preached. And it's true that he believed in what he preached because he was preaching about the second coming of Christ. That didn't happen any time near his time, right? It didn't happen yet. But he still preached with conviction, with the belief. Saying, hey, Jesus is going to come back the second time. He preached with a conviction in his heart. And beloved, I pray that we would have the same faith and belief that Enoch had when it comes to the second coming of Christ. You know, Enoch, if he can preach with so much earnestness, with so much conviction, with so much faith in his voice, if he can preach that Jesus Christ is coming soon, shouldn't we have that same conviction? Shouldn't we be preaching with that much, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the word? Uh, enthusiasm? Zeal? I mean, we're Seventh-day Adventists, amen? As Seventh-day Adventists, not only do we believe in the Sabbath, but we also believe in the second coming of Jesus. But do we truly believe that Jesus is coming soon? Do we really believe it? Beloved, I believe that if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon, our life would testify of that fact. Now, we look at the early Adventist church, the, the Advent movement, right? Before the great disappointment. There were a group of individuals who believed with all of their hearts that Jesus was coming back the second time. You guys recall the story? They preached the, the Millerite message. They preached that, that in a, October 22, 1844, that Jesus was to return. And let me ask you a question. How did they live their lives? They lived their lives getting ready. Isn't that true? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say that you should go and sell all that you have right now and, and you know, just sacrifice everything. But we should really be praying. We should really be praying, God, how is it that I can live my life with a sense of urgency? How is it that I can live my life with, a, you know, with all conviction that you are coming very soon? Because, beloved, people are looking at us. We, we may preach that Jesus is coming soon, but when they look at the church, do they see the urgency in our lives? And so it is my sincere prayer that if we truly believe in the message, the second Advent message, that Jesus is Christ is coming soon, then we should live like Enoch, living a life of urgency. Amen? Because if we truly believe Jesus is coming soon, then we should be preparing for that and telling as many people as possible of that truth. I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. This will be our last passage here. Revelation chapter 14. And I want you to notice what it says in verses 1 through 5. And as you're turning there, we have seen here, as we look at the life of Enoch, how is it that he walked with God? How is it that he had a life, a testimony that he pleased God? There are three, three points. Number one, he sought after the will of the Lord. Number two, he considered prayer to be the breath of his soul. And number three, he witnessed to all he came in contact with. That is how Enoch was able to have this life of commitment. This is how Enoch was able to walk with God. And this is how Enoch was able to talk with God. This is how Enoch was able to have an experience unique than any other. It's because he had followed these three things with all of his heart. He sought the will of God. He prayed earnestly to the God of heaven, believing that he is the present God. And he witnessed to all that he came in contact with. Not just the Sethites. But he witnessed to everyone. Revelation chapter 14. 
Revelation chapter 14, is a, there's a description here of a group called the 144,000. And beloved, the 144,000 is a group of people that you could be a part of as well. This is a group of people, if you study out who they are, these are those who will live through the seven plagues. These are those who will see Jesus come. These are those who will be translated to heaven without seeing death. Amen? How many of you want to be like Enoch? I do. You can be a part of that group of people. Now, it's not, I don't want to say 144,000 only, like that's the exact literal number, but there is going to be a group of people who will be saved, who will be translated to heaven. And I want you to notice how the Bible describes this group of people. The Bible says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sinai. And who's the lamb, by the way? The lamb is Jesus. And with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Verse 3, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were deemed from the earth. And notice the characteristics of these, these uh, men and women. Verse 4 says, These are they which were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. These are they, and I love this, which follow the what? Follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, we don't have time to talk about the characteristics one by one, but there is one characteristic that I would like you to focus in on, and that is they followed the Lamb, how? Everywhere. Whithersoever He goeth. And beloved, I believe that's really what Enoch did. He only went to the places that Jesus would go to. Enoch walked with God because he wanted to follow God. He wanted to follow Jesus every step of the way. And my prayer for each and every one of us is that we would have that same desire in our hearts. That we would wake up in the morning and we, in, in our imaginations, we would look for Jesus and we would follow Jesus wherever he goes. And practically speaking, in order for us to follow Jesus... We need to seek after his will. Amen. In order to follow his footsteps, you know, following Jesus is not this vision or trance like experience. Following Jesus is following his will. And if you can do that and have a prayer life like that of Enoch, and if you could live your life not for yourselves, but for others, you too can walk with God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.